it, if we're attention, when we want them to pay attention and then respond to us in some way. If we're face-to-face, -face, we'll do things like engage in eye contact, or we might use our proximity and get real close and up in somebody's business, or we'll use a tone or strong language or something like that. It gets a little bit trickier, though, when we can't hear each other. So when we write, we do things like use all caps, or we bold our, our letters. Sometimes we use color, punctuation. I love punctuation. If you've received an email from me or a letter, I love the exclamation point. I use it because I feel like it helps to communicate my energy or my feelings about something. I totally overuse it. I know that. And a millennial friend taught me that there's this thing called Grammarly that will help me tone down the overuse of the exclamation point. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> Another thing that we do to communicate when we are using text is a little bit more challenging because we can't bold our text. We can use capital letters and exclamation points. Did you know that the first text message was actually sent as an SMS, short message service? In 1992, Neil Patworth sent the very first text. Do you know what it said? December 3rd, 1992, Merry Christmas, with an exclamation point. <laughs> I think we've gotten a little uh, far away from the whole idea of short message. I've seen a lot of real long messages, book-like messages and texting. I like to use text to communicate with my kids. And when I need to get their attention, I will use all caps and a lot of exclamation points and punctuation. So when I need their attention through text and they're not responding, I do that. Hello, question mark, exclamation point. Hello, I'm waiting for a response. Sometimes it works and sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't. Thankfully, though, we can speak with emojis, not using words, but symbols to me communicate something. So when they're not responding when I think they ought to, I'll add this one. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Did you know that there are 3,664 emojis that are available to us? I know, I don't use that many of them, but the number one emoji that was used in this last year was this one. Not, oh no, not that one, this by me, yes, this one is in general, this is the loud crying face emoji. Those are tears of joy, I did not know that. I have never used this emoji because I didn't know those were tears of joy. So now if I text you, maybe I'll use it. <laughs> the number, the, the most frequently used emojis on my phone are these. Grimace, eye roll, and this one. <laughs> oh, you think I'm joking. Another really cool thing that I learned is memojis. Have you heard of those? I have young people in my house, so I learned to use memojis too. So my memoji that I use to get my kids' attention looks like this. 
hello, I'm waving at them. I'm trying to get a response from you. And then this one. <laughs> she actually looks like me, doesn't she? <laughs> Thanks to Lily, a couple years ago, she taught me how to create these beauties. And now I have all of these on my phone. aren't they? If you know my people, there's a pretty good likeness to them. I knew my kids would be embarrassed <laughs> by me talking about them this morning, and so I told them that I was going to do this, and Max said, well, I want to see my Memoji. And so I showed him this, and he was like, hey, that's actually really good. I thought so. If you want some help, let me know creating your memoji, they're kind of fun to communicate with. I do wonder what emojis or memojis Paul would have used in his writing. Throughout his letter to the Galatians, he's very intentional in his effort to get their attention and to keep their attention all the way to the very end of this letter to the Galatians. Let's take a look. We're in chapter 6, getting near the end Chapter 6, verse 11 through 16. If you're in a blue Bible, it's on page 975. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the, Lord, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel, the Israel of God. It's interesting that Paul used some of the same strategies that we use today to get people's attention and solicit some kind of a response. Right from the beginning of his letter, he used strong and very direct language. Immediately after his greeting, he set the tone in, in chapter 1, verse 6, when he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In chapter 4, verse 15, he said, You would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And in chapter 4, verse 20, he says, I am perplexed about you. He's very direct with his language. He also used comparisons to contrast their enslavement to the law of the old covenant versus the freedom through Jesus Christ in the new covenant. That's what he's trying to communicate in the book of Galatians, or in the, to the letter, in the letter to the Galatians. He used repetition with the imagery of circumcision to demonstrate the grace and the freedom that is available to all of humanity through faith in Jesus. In fact, Paul used the word circumcision 16 times in this book. 
And I have read the word more times from this spot on a Sunday morning than John or Eric combined. And I was thinking about how could I abbreviate this or do it a little bit differently so I didn't actually have to say the full word again. And then I got to this point where UNC, and then I thought my friends, <laughs> Bill and Deborah from North Carolina would be offended. So I just said the whole word for you. As he begins the closing of this letter, Paul emphasizes that he, in fact, is very deliberate in trying to get their attention. In verse 11, he says right, out, right away, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Typically, these letters would have been verbalized to a scribe, and the scribe would have written them down. But Paul puts pen to paper or papyrus himself. He's doing the writing. And in his old own large, bold handwriting, he intends to draw attention to the significance of what he is saying to the Galatians. I think this is an opportunity for us to reflect on what gets our attention. Who gets our attention? Do we carry a posture of humility and openness, allowing God's space to get our attention? Paul is telling the Galatians that the Judaizers were less concerned about them and more concerned about themselves. The Judaizers were the Jews who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, but didn't accept the freedom his life and his death paid for. They continued to follow some of the laws and believed that the Gentile Christians had to become Jewish in order to be accepted into the kingdom of God. And that meant they had to be circumcised. The truth was, the Judaizers didn't have the courage to be countercultural. They didn't want to be accused by other Jews of being aligned with those who fully believed in the complete freedom from the law through Jesus Christ. Their fear of persecution led to their arrogance. That is why they boasted about the Gentile Christians following their accept Jesus and become a Jew kind of gospel, the other gospel. They were certain they had to continue being enslaved to the law in order to maintain their identity as Israel, God's chosen people, even though they could never achieve the righteousness they needed through it. It's like choosing to surround ourselves with like-minded people or media that affirms what we believe. When we do this, we don't have to face any of the challenges that might come towards what we believe to be true. Have you read anything lately or had a conversation that has challenged what you think you know or believe to be true about your faith or anything else? If you haven't, I would encourage you to participate in Eric's reading group. His book selections don't always affirm everything that we believe, but they're intended to invite conversation and discussion in a safe and respectful environment. The same is true about Wednesday night programming. Our kids, our youth, and our adults, all of us, we get the opportunity to explore God's message and community and through discussion, hearing from the experiences and the understanding of other people. 
Who do we surround ourselves with? The truth is, there is really not many things that we have to be right about. At Timberwood, we believe that when the Bible speaks clearly, we hold tightly. When it doesn't, we can and should hold loosely. This is something we discuss in our membership classes. In the essentials, there is unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And in alignment with one of our 2023 objectives for the year, we'll begin a sermon series in October on the purpose, covenant, and values of Timberwood Church. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. The issue Paul is addressing here is an essential. It's an essential understanding of the gospel. Jesus is the new covenant representative. And he fulfilled the purpose of the law from the old covenant. That means keeping the law negated the grace and accomplishment through his death on the cross. And what brought in the hypocrisy of these Judaizers is that they didn't even expect the Gentile Christians to keep all of the laws. They just wanted them to be circumcised. The Judaizers were arrogant, even boasting, and they were not open to the possibility that they could possibly be wrong about something. We have to remember, too, that Paul, his perspective is critical here because Paul was once a Jew who persecuted Christians, followers of Christ. He sees both sides of this argument. Being a follower of Christ isn't about what we can do to earn favor with God or salvation. It's about what Jesus did and what he has accomplished at the cross on our behalf, not what we can do. For Paul, this is what we ought to be boasting about. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross set Israel free from the law and offered all of humanity a means to righteousness and an eternal relationship with God. Anyone who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior and chooses to follow him is adopted into the kingdom of God. It's not about what we do right or what we do wrong. Paul's plain and straightforward language in Galatian invites his audience to examine their understanding of the gospel message. And for today, for Christians, I think that this is an invitation to examine what we think we know about God's overarching biblical message. Do we see the themes that he intended for us to see? Do we measure our interpretations of Scripture with his overall message of freedom and his new creation? This requires that we would have a posture of humility. I've been thinking about this a lot over the last three years. Having a humble posture means that we are open to the possibility that we might be or could be wrong about something. Uh, 
A humble posture means that you are willing to listen to somebody that has a different view than you. It means not always being armed and ready to attack and defend our point of view. Three years ago, I started a journey to earn my Master's of Theology and Ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary. It's a multi-denominational seminary. And I chose this intentionally. I wanted to be challenged about what I thought I knew about the kingdom of God. I wanted to be taught how to think theologically, and I didn't want to be told what to think. I've completed 18 courses, and I have four to go. Whew. It's been a long three years. <laughs> For three years, I have been required to respectfully listen and engage with people and reading that shares a theological interpretation or understanding that is different than mine. Not always, but sometimes. And what this has done is deepen my desire to be in communion with God. I need him to speak to me through the Holy Spirit. When I engage in scripture and I'm learning in a community where we're not all in 100% agreement, I need to hear from him. And I want to know. I want to know what he wants me to see and understand about his will for humanity. In the present, in the past, in the future to come, what is it that he wants me to know? Rather than studying on my own, seeking different voices, or meditating on God's word, trusting that he would speak to me through it. A lot of times, I just believed what I was told. There are things that I have actually been wrong about. There are times when I was told to interpret scripture in a certain way, and I did. Rather than seeking him and being in communion with God, I just believed what I was told, and I hung with people who believed what I believed and read things that affirmed that I was told was true. And so I encourage you, if there is something that you find challenging, if I say something that challenges you or challenges what you think or believe to be true, let's have a conversation. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about me. Don't go to your friends to talk about what you think I said wrong or believe is wrong. Email me. Let's set up a time and have coffee. Let's have a conversation. I want to hear from you. This is how we learn, and this is how we grow in our faith. And I believe that this invitation is available from every single one on the staff at Timberwood Church. Engage with us. This is how we learn and grow. What if the Judaizers had had a posture of humility? They probably would have been open to listening to the Christians who believed that the gospel of Jesus meant that he alone secured their righteousness. 
they would have been open to the possibility that they could be wrong about God's intent for humanity. If they had had a posture of humility, they probably would have understood that keeping the law and circumcision was an affront to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What about today? Are we paying attention to what God is doing around us? Are we paying attention to what God was doing in the biblical narrative? Are we paying attention to what God is doing in us and through us? Are we paying attention to what God is doing in other people and through other people around us? What does God want us to actually experience? I believe it's the same thing that he wanted Israel, the Jews, the Gentiles, to experience. A new life. Freedom in Christ. Verses 15 and 16 tell us this. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God is offering every human the ability to become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Being a new creation in Christ means that we can experience freedom and forgiveness. Freedom and forgiveness from our sins. It means we are made righteous without works. And we have a place in the family of God for eternity. And God is not competing for our attention. He's not going to send us texts with all caps. He's not going to send us fancy emojis to get our attention or angry faces, but I imagine that sometimes he has it. Like, come on. He's not competing for our attention. He's just waiting for a posture of humility from every one of us. He's waiting for a posture of humility that opens us to the work that he wants to do in and through us. For Israel, Christ set them free from the law. For us, a new life in Christ sets us free from what this world dictates and from its sinful patterns of power and control. Christ has set us free to live and love like he did. Loving God, loving ourselves, and loving others well. Paul is so close to closing this letter. We have two verses left. And he continues to use very pointed language. All who understand and accept and choose to live in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ will become a new creation and experience God's peace and mercy. That is the point of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So I ask us, I ask you, I ask myself, what does God have to do to get our attention? What does he have to do to get my attention? What does he have to do to get your attention?
Has he gotten your attention? Does he have your attention now? Maybe a more important question is, do you have a posture of humility that will allow him to get your attention? Maybe there's a person or a Bible passage or a book or a study or a conversation or a situation that God is using to get your attention right now. Or maybe you can look in the rearview mirror and see that God was trying to get your attention back there and you missed it. It's not too late. Whatever it is, there's only room for him to work in us and through us when we have a humble posture. And he can only work in and through us when he has our attention. And so I ask, what is God doing to get your attention? Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you acknowledging the arrogance that we can sometimes carry in thinking we know what is true. Lord, I pray that you would use people around us, you would use scripture, you would use experiences. I pray that you would use what is in front of us to get our attention. Allow us to humble ourselves and be open to pay attention to you and the message that you have for us. As followers of Christ as a whole, as a church, and followers of Christ as individuals. Lord, would you give us the ability would you soften our hearts and open our minds and our ears, allow us to experience and understand, allow us to discern your will for us, allow us to see how you choose, how you want to work in and through us. Open our eyes so that we can see how you are working around us. And Lord, would you give us the courage to join in what you are doing? Would you give us the courage to be countercultural? Would you give us the courage to love you, to love ourselves, and love each other well, as Jesus has taught us to do? Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the message that you have for us, and we want to love you and honor you. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Invite you to please stand.